Gracias por pressing play y welcome to Smart Chickens, a working together, smarter diversity meets innovation and growth podcast. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, Damien Rivera. He is the CEO of Alpha, Association of Latino Professionals for America, and former 20-plus year senior managing director at Accenture. We have a very real conversation around the critical importance of your origin story, his childhood upbringing in New York to El Paso, Texas, and then back to Spanish Harlem in the 80s, and how those experiences shaped and prepared him for his educational and career paths. We chat about the important role of his parents' attention to education and summer computer camps, and how they made an impact to his future choices for work and academics. He gives us some valuable takeaways on how to focus on leadership and the power of using your voice at all times, even when you don't think you're being heard. He gives us some of his favorite book recommendations to get 1% better and some advice he would give to recent college graduates entering the workforce. Then we take a fictional trip with Michael J. Fox and his Back to the Future DeLorean to speak to a younger Damon Rivera. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Digitechie.com and conversational marketing, demand gen, and revenue accelerating, helping B2B companies achieve six to seven figures in pipeline consistently and gypsyforever.com, uniquely handmade wellness products that help you connect your mind, body, and soul to achieve a better balanced you. Little background on Damien. Prior to taking on the CEO role of Alpha, Damien has been a managing director in Accenture's utilities practices for 21 years, where he started his career as a coder in their practice area. And Damien holds a BS in chemical engineering from Rutgers University and is currently in the Columbia University's executive MBA program, specializing in social entrepreneurship. Damien's focus on social entrepreneurship would come as no surprise to people who know him. In addition to his clients' roles, which he served at Accenture during his managing director responsibilities in North America, he was also part of the North American Hispanic American Employee Resource Group from 2011 to 2017 in Accenture. In his role, he led the strategic direction of 16 ERGs across the U.S. engaging in internal career progressions as well as local market activities focusing on improving the community in which the ERG is based. Damien has also served on the National Board of Directors of Per Scholas, whose mission is to break the cycle of poverty by providing technology, education, access, training, and job placement services for people in underserved communities. So, vamos, let's dive into the show, and without further ado, here's Damien Rivera. Good morning. Thank you for, for being here. This is Smart Chickens, is a podcast dedicated to diversity in thinking, so more than just deep skin, and how it drives innovation and um, growth in an organization, right, and in our communities. So thank you for, for, for joining us today. Thank you, Gianni, for having me. I'm extremely excited for this, uh, with it being our virtual convention pre-week. There's a lot of stuff going on with Alpha this week, and so to be able to, to connect with you uh, is uh, also a great opportunity to be able to just uh, share uh, some stories and connect with the Latino community even more. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, as I had mentioned to you even before our call, I, I got a little glimpse of you um, when I watched a, a, an interesting webinar that Elias Torres, uh, Chief Technology Officer of Drift, um, had, had put together. He's got a, a Making the American Dream Work, I think is the, the title of the webinar, and you were one of his guests. Yeah. And I really was impressed with what you were talking about. So, you know, give us a little bit of your background, your journey from Spanish Harlem, New York, yep. uh, a bit of your upbringing, um, because I know you're, you're a true uh, believer in origin story, right? Yeah. So we'll dive into that as well. 
and tell us some of the challenges and joys of experience growing up there in, in Spanish Harlem. Yeah, so I, I think I, I was extremely lucky uh, as a kid to, to have the, um, the, the path journey I had because of my parents, right? So, um, and I'll even go a little slightly before the Spanish shop. So uh, Co-op City in the Bronx, um, then El Paso, Texas for a couple of years because of my dad's job, he worked for the post office and they had him, they didn't want him training in a big city. They wanted him in a small city. And so they sent us to El Paso. And then when we, um, you know, in El Paso, it was actually interesting because um, it was the first time where we, uh, my, my parents bought a house. Uh, my brother and I could play outside and it was phenomenal. And then in a heartbeat, the community started developing new houses that were bigger and nicer and the same price as the smaller house. And so when we had to go back home to New York, my dad couldn't sell the house. Uh, ended up being in a position where um, nearly went bankrupt. And when we, so we moved back. We moved back with my grandma. We were in uh, Wagner Projects in, in Spanish Harlem. Uh, first day that we moved back in, my brother and I are sleeping in the living room. And um, uh, you know, the police knock on the door. We didn't know it was the police, but so you're knocking on the door, it's late at night. My dad opens the door. They're like, hey, we didn't want to alarm you, but um, you know, we want to know if you guys heard anything. We were on the 14th floor, it's a 16-story building. And uh, they said, you know, someone was just thrown off the roof and we wanted yeah. to see if you guys heard anything. The reason I bring that up is it, for me, all of a sudden I went from this very safe, environment to something that I felt was unsafe. I used to, I used to literally cry every time my mom would drop us off at school because I thought it was the last time I was going to see her. Right. Yeah. I thought when she walks home, th there something bad could happen. And, um, I was, I was so extremely fortunate to have, uh, some of the friends that I had in school growing up and my parents really, um, making sure that, they did things very differently, I'd say, just to make sure we're okay, right? So my mom didn't immediately go back to work because she knew that she needed to be there because I was not in a, a good mental state as a kid. I was in fourth grade to um, not have her closer around. Uh, my dad, um, and, and he would work nights sometimes, he would always make sure that I saw him um, before he, before he left, when he got home, just so that I knew he was okay. And, and growing up, they just you know, gave a lot of, just gave us a lot of love, uh, to help us get through what was a challenge. And at the same time, what I say to people is those challenges, um, have contributed to a ton of skills that I have from a business aspect and knowing how to get through things. And so um, I won't go into all those details right now, but, but it's a, okay. um, just had a, had a ton of uh, really a, a lot of love in Harlem, right? There was a lot of love there. And even though a lot of people think about Harlem in the eighties, um, it was the height of the crack epidemic, right? It's when the, a lot of people uh, will, will know even today, the, um, the crack is whack wall. Uh, a big orange uh, wall that was uh, graffiti painted uh, to really try to help kids kind of say no to drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, what I remember is, you know, uh, a friend who um, 
I didn't know at all uh, a couple days into being in school, being the new kid, having a slight Texas accent in Spanish Harlem, which isn't necessarily the cool thing to be. And this kid telling everybody else to leave me alone. And he actually made me acceptable to everybody else and kind of brought me in. This, and, and, and a kid who told uh, my mom, he'll be okay, I'll take care of him, right? This is a, this is a what, maybe a nine, 10 year old kid. His name was Paul Cushion. Um, and Paul demonstrated leadership skills there, right? And so my community, the, the love is what I remember and the knowledge of how to um, quickly uh, engage in some very interesting conversations, but it, it, it translates over to uh, being able to quickly evaluate something come up with a point of view and then also understand the other person's point of view so that you can connect with them better because you, you better be able to connect with people in that environment. So anyway, I kind of went, went on yeah, no, a bit no, there. This, but this, this is great because it's part of your origin story and you're right. This has really um, influenced the way you are. And I can tell by, by just your passion in, in, in terms of what you're talking about, how it impacted you to go from a, a, a safe haven of El Paso, Texas to a community that was drug torn and somewhat dangerous, albeit you still felt all that love, right? And I think, yeah. you know, coming from a Latino background myself, I think in the Latino community, nuestra gente, nuestros padres, they, they always wanna, you know, nurture us and protect yep. us. And they wanna, above all, make sure that we feel that we're going to make it and become better, right? So yeah. they'll, they'll sacrifice, as you know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, parents, most parents, right? But I, I want to, I, I might be biased a little bit, but I think that <laughs> parents of color in general, yeah. um, maybe sometimes um, they double down on the, I'll do anything and everything to make sure that they are, you know, have a, a better future, that they have the right environment because, you know, they know how tough it is, right? So, yeah. so I love this. I love that you're sharing it. And I think the listeners will definitely appreciate that and resonate because now I want to, what I want to do is fast forward to you, your background brought you through some incredible journeys and you know just even just if you can bring us to you know you you grad you you got into um yeah. Rutgers University yeah and so, you pursued so, a chemical engineering degree right that's right that's right and aside yeah. from that after that then you you didn't stop there you're a lifelong learner right yeah and you went to Columbia University and got an MBA MBA entrepreneurship and I think also around uh social entrepreneurship Correct. right yeah that's so, right dive into that, unpack how that, you know, how, how, why did you choose that degree? Yep. And uh, how did that, uh, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, so, so it actually goes back to, um, so when my grandfather passed away, um, at his funeral, uh, my dad uh, points out this guy, he's like, and, and a guy, Latino guy in a leather jacket, black jeans, I vividly remember this, he's just kind of standing over in the corner, kind of leaning up against the wall. My dad's like, do you know who that guy is? I was like, I have no idea who that guy is. He was like, do you know what he does? I'm like, if I don't know who he is, I don't know what he does. <laughs> so, you know, nope, dad, don't know. He was like, he's an electrical engineer. He, so for a building to be opened up, he has to sign off, right? He's a professional. So he has to sign off on it before that can happen. You want to go into engineering. Okay, dad, that I, I want to go into engineering. Right, and so my dad had been preparing us from before that. So um, think about, again, so growing up in the 80s, and my dad had a, a Commodore VIC-20 computer in front of us. Now, Commodore VIC-20 computers weren't necessarily the, the, the best computers out there, but the, we literally had a computer in front of us. Nobody had that at, at right. that time, right? And so 
um, instead of putting us in, uh, in like sports camps for the summer, we were put in computer day camps for the summer. That's great. Home. That's really smart of them. Absolutely. Right. So, so positioning us to be technically savvy, to, to be thinking about that. So um, had a chance to visit Rutgers um, as part of a school program. When I visited, I just thought it was a beautiful campus. And I was like, that's where I want to go. So I only applied to three schools. Uh, I applied to Rutgers. I applied to University of South Carolina because my brother was going there. And I applied to um, Syracuse because a bunch of friends were like, if we all go in, get in, let's all go to Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up choosing Rutgers. Uh, we all, I think most of us got in. I got in. I will say this. I got into all three schools, which means I didn't try hard enough, right? I needed to get rejected from some schools. The fact that I didn't, I tell my kids that today, if you don't get rejected from any colleges you apply to, you didn't try hard enough, right? You need to go apply to it and stretch out there. So one thing that I didn't do, although I don't regret it, is I didn't stretch far enough early on from a college perspective. Um, But went to Rutgers, studied chemical, biochemical engineering. Um, I planned on doing a dual degree program at NYU. It was an MBA and a master's in microbiology, DNA technology. I planned to do that. I visited, uh, I visited one of the deans at, uh, at NYU. I kind of like, I literally went from Rutgers, went to the city, was, I don't even know how I was allowed in the building, but like you know, just a kid running around the building, found somebody, started talking to them about the program. He was like, look, the fact that you're willing to go through all this just to find out more, uh, he was like, I'll pay for your application. He went and you know, stamped the application thing. He was like, look, you're not going to get into our MBA program. He was like, you're, just not, you're not going to get into it. You have no background in business. Everything you've done is the, the science field. He was like, look, a lot of our folks go work for a couple of years and then get the MBAs. He was like, so mm-hmm. you, should, you should consider doing that. So uh, soon afterwards, I um, went to a conference, a Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. So I was a ship guy growing up. And um, uh, there is where I met some folks from Accenture, you know, then uh, Anderson Consulting, and they gave me an opportunity for a job. And I thought, perfect. Uh, I can learn business process stuff there. So I learned the business side. So I went to work for Anderson Consulting, who's now Accenture. Uh, at this point, it was 23 years ago. So 1997 is when I started. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, you've, you've had a, a you know, 25-year career there. And so you... Um, you got into something I was going to talk about, which I was going to say, you know, success happens at the intersection of opportunity means preparation. Yeah. In this case, you just described it, right? So you didn't get your BS in chemical engineering, um, obviously at Rutgers. And then it was that, that hunger, that curiosity, right? That goes back to your origin. I think yeah. your parents planted that by yep. giving you computer camp in the summer versus <laughs> go out there and shoot some hoops with your friends, right? Yeah. And I can yeah. relate to that. My parents uh, took, Every summer, I'm from Ecuador originally, Ecuador, mm. and um, you know Elias Torres and David Cancel have an Ecuadorian connection, as, yeah. as you know probably. Yeah. But anyhow, and uh, so it was my two brothers, myself, and every summer, uh, so that I wouldn't uh, olvidar cómo hablar español y escribir español y todo eso. Yeah. My mom would send us back, and so over there, although it was summertime here, they were still in school, my cousins. So she'd put us in sort of like a camp, a school, basically yeah. not a camp, and it was either for, you know, to, to continue learning Spanish, writing. Uh, whatever it was, math, uh, art, even just, uh, it wasn't just go there and have fun with your cousins. Right. Yeah. So I love that. I love that your parents did that. And that opened up your, 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 your kind of your point of views, I guess. So that preparation intersection of uh, success happening with opportunity and preparation, 
Yeah. It sounds like that's what happened. And you got into Accenture and had a 25-year career, which is not easy on a Fortune, you know, 500. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, so, so 21 years there. Um, but yeah, so it was a, um, what I tell people is I'm a better person having worked there. I'm a better father, son, husband, brother, friend, uh, because of what I've learned uh, at that company and, and the people I was surrounded with. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. What would you say, you know, thinking about your experience there, um, I know that you mentioned that there were mentorship programs and that you yeah. had someone that we both kind of know in a weird way as uh, who was the CEO of North America, Accenture, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, he, he gave you um, a bit of mentorship and guidance. Yeah. Now, when you think about mentorship programs, what's your point of view on mentorship programs in, in corporate as it relates to giving you know, a better, you know, a, a platform for diversity thinking and for um, allowing for some tracks, path tracks for, you know, uh, employees that come from diverse backgrounds. Yeah. So, so, so I'll, I'll hit on a couple points there. So one I'll say, um, and so Jorge Benitez was a phenomenal mentor. And, and one message I want to put out there is for people to understand whether you are the most senior person in the room, or even if you're someone that's a little bit newer, understand the power of your words when you engage with people, right? Um, one of the first times that Jorge and I actually engaged, it wasn't even a him and I talking. I had just, um, it was a diversity event that Accenture had. I had just spoken on stage. I came down. I overheard him asking uh, somebody else, who is his career counselor? The reason why that's so critical is, um, so I know if you have a good career counselor, someone that can really help coach you, um, th that means that that's, that's significance, right? And in the consulting nice. culture, that's very significant. The fact that he was making sure who I had, and I know who I, the, the person who I had um, was phenomenal. And when he heard the name, he was like, okay, Damien's fine. The fact that he wanted to make sure I had the yeah. right person meant a ton. So my point there is understand that the power you may have, the words you say, even if you don't realize other people are hearing you, they're hearing you, right? So, so, uh, and be aware of the power that your small words can have. Um, and I, and I apologize. So, so I lost track of your, your formal question there, but for no, me, that, that was, saying, that was part of it. I, I, you know, mentorship programs in general, right? Some companies do good, uh, a good a yeah. job at it. Some mediocre, some are just, you know, pissed for. Yeah. What's your point of view? I think formal mentorship programs are hit or miss, right? So you, you know, coin flip on whether or not it'll actually turn into something um, because you don't know whether or not you're going to have a good relationship with that person, right? So if you're formally assigned to them, you know, it doesn't necessarily work well. Um, I think as an individual, what you want to do is if there is a formal program that's been set up and you've been paired with somebody, understand how you can leverage that relationship to create something that will be good, right? So even if the person you're engaging with in that formal connection isn't somebody that you really connect with, um, but they may be able to help you find someone who you really can connect with, right? What I've found is those informal mentorship programs, uh, informal mentorship relationships work better than any others. Uh, and then also understanding sponsorship is different. Now, formal sponsorship programs, those I have seen work extremely well. Um, and I could go into a little bit more detail if you'd like in terms of the difference between the two and what I've seen work well. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I've been part of a, a, a formal sponsorship type and it was, um, it was a team. So they, they, you know, it was a large organization out of California. We were 15,000 employees, you know, two billion publicly traded company on, in California for career colleges called Corinthian Colleges. Yeah. And so they created an executive mentorship program where they selected maybe 15 or so at corporate from different departments and they had us in a cohort. And that, because it had different executives as part of the team, and you'd meet once, uh, you know, once, uh, twice a quarter and have yeah. sort of some, some assignments and some sort of um, some, some actual tangible things you could do and work with within that cohort, I found that to be pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. And you were sponsored by, you know, if you were in marketing, your VP of marketing slash maybe someone else was part of that group that helped you. But tell me what you experienced around yeah. sponsorships. I mean, it, it, it's exactly that, right? It is the, um, the, the person that's responsible for being in the room and speaking up for you from a promotion perspective, what you have done, the one that's going to be touting your successes, right? And, and making sure that that person is someone that, that whose voice carries weight in that room, right? And so, you know, that's where formal programs that put you with the right person work beautifully uh, from a sponsorship program. Mentorship, it's, it's hit or miss uh, that I've seen. And, and for me, the sponsor that I was connected with at Accenture uh, as a manager is the same one I had through making partner managing director there. I mean, I vividly remember him giving me the call uh, to say, he, he started joking with it. He was like, you know, it's really hard to get there, you know, especially on your first try. It, you know, it doesn't really happen very much. And so it's not a bad thing if he doesn't make it. And by the way, you made it. And I was literally, as he was talking, getting further down, further down, further down, like slumping in my seat until he was like, and you got it. So it was, yeah. <laughs> he was building up the momentum for you, Damien, he was, right? He was. I love that. Absolutely. So, so then, you know, you, you went to, a, you had a, a phenomenal career, a 20, 20 plus year career at um, Accenture. No easy feat. And you became a senior partner. And, and tell me an anecdote, because I know you, t you, you mentioned an anecdote that I thought was just brilliant about, you know, unfortunately, we still live in a society where there is some, un, um, you know, subconscious bias um, towards people of color when they reach a certain leadership level. And so you, you may have mentioned a little story um, around an, an experience that you had. And so... so, so I mean, um, and, and there's different times with different things. And um, I mean, one example that I've talked about a few times, because it's, I think it's important for people to be prepared to know how you handle the situation. So you and that's where I was going. It's like, how do you handle it? It's not just that it happens, because we know that it's going to happen, Correct. regardless of what color you are. Yeah. But and, how do you and, handle it? So how did you? Yeah. And, and this was, you know, simple example of, you know, walking into a room, having someone who was a, um, so I had a, a colleague who was a white male colleague, uh, much more junior. I was the partner in the room and um, the client sort of shakes their hand first, uh, really starts having the conversation with them, not really me. And I have to figure out in, an, in, a, in a heartbeat, how do I make that client feel comfortable that they just made a really bad mistake. Um, not, you know, it, it, it's, it, it definitely was not something that they were trying to be rude or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so for this specific example, I went with the, you know, uh, um, 
I kind of shifted the, the the conversation a little bit when I sort of jumped in and, and give a little bit more of my background and thank you for being here. And, you know, I think for this one, I had mentioned somebody that they knew also. So it kind of made them realize, wait a second, he's probably the older person here. Uh, and then made a little bit of a joke of, you know, I, I look super young. I, you know, I get it. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, in that moment though, it, I had to make them feel okay. They knew they did something wrong. I knew they did something wrong. If I didn't find a way to let them off the hook a little bit, sure. then what would have potentially happened is the relationship would have, would have come to a, an impasse and I would have been the one that's blamed for it, right? Because, well, Damien couldn't establish that relationship. Why not? That's such a nice, you know, he, the client's such a nice person. What's wrong with Damien that he couldn't bridge that relationship? So I know I had a, a smaller window, right, to, to make it okay. And, you know, long story short with it is we ended up having a great relationship long term. So it was all, all great. What I talk to people about is practice some of these scenarios that you know have a potential to happen. The way you know they have a potential to happen is have conversations with other people who have been there and had it happen to them before so that you're able to understand what their journey was, how they resolved it, and you could put your own spin to how do you want to solve it? How do you want to engage with it if and when it happens to you, right? Yeah, and so, um, you know, I, I share the story because it's, it's, it happens. It, it, it's, it's going to continue to happen. Um, I think for me, uh, part of it is more because I, I look a certain age. And so people assume that I'm not at the age I am or the, the position I'm in. Uh, but it's important that people understand and practice how they want to deal with those things. If you don't want to let the person off the hook a bit, that's fine. What I always, what I encourage people to do is if you let somebody off the hook, they usually know when you've let them off the hook. And then you have an opportunity to help move them to understand better about what the, the unconscious bias was and to put them in a position where they're now learning and you can either do that and help the other person learn so that next time they won't make that same mistake right. or you can close the door. Um, I go on the, I'm going to try to figure out how to help that person. Now that's great. Great insight and, and definitely um, wise words for, for folks in a leadership position to follow. So speaking about leadership, right? Because obviously you have held leadership roles um, throughout your career in Accenture. And um, you know, I know that you've also sit on some boards. And, and now that you're the CEO and president of Alpha, right? The um, Association for Latin Professionals for America. Yeah. You know, wow. I mean, that's, that's awesome and amazing because it almost seems like it's a, it goes with your origin story. So it almost seems yeah. like, uh, I'm not going to say it's your pinnacle because I'm sure you're still got, you know, other, other feats uh, to yeah. accomplish. But tell us a little bit about that, how that happened. And what is your point of view right now around entrepreneurship in the Latino community? Yeah. Um, because you're, you're, you're in it right now in, in this role. Yeah, so, so um, a, a little bit of a story, there's a bit of a journey on, on how it happened. And I think it also ties back to uh, one piece that I didn't mention. I talked about my dad working for the post office. My mom worked for nonprofit uh, for most of her career. Uh, and I think that's important because that, that whole sure. giving back piece, right, mm -hmm. um, uh, was pretty, I saw that every single day, right? Saw that every single day. And so um, 
2014, there was a, a explosion in Harlem, a, a church that I went to growing up uh, when my, my parents got married, had family members who um, were impacted by that directly. One person passed away. And when that happened, uh, I took some time off of work, went, right, my thought was, I do consulting stuff. I help, like, I, I help fix things, right? Like, that's what I do. I fix things, right? And so, right. Uh, and, and for my entire career, I had been very focused within the Latino community within Accenture. And so I was like, okay, you know, this is what I do already right now. Let me figure out how to help. And what I realized is I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea how to do it in the community in the, the, the most impactful way. And I was just, it was this thing that kind of came over me of what am I supposed to be doing then, right? Like I'm, I'm doing this, this consulting thing and, and I'm enjoying that, but is that really what I'm supposed to be doing right now? And um, so what I literally did was whatever I could, right? So uh, stuff as simple as I went and got a rental car and I was literally the, you know, the, the Uber driver essentially for anybody in the community that needed to be taken somewhere that was you know, working on this stuff from the church that was working on it, uh, getting food for people, right? Like just, that's what I was doing. And then helping them think through how do we start repairing stuff? And rebuilding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 but it made me start reaching out to people um, that I knew to, to ask, you know, how did you start getting into what you're doing within really helping the community? Uh, and one of those people that I reached out to was the prior CEO for Alpha. And so, what, you know, when I reached out, he was like, hey, look, you know, um, he was like, you know, what are you doing now? Uh, and this is, this is over the course of years, this is happening, right? So after the trigger thing, I was like, you know, doing a bunch of, uh, you know, obviously the consulting thing and, and digital transformation for companies. He was like, hey, can you come and talk to our board? And so this is soon after Hurricane Marie. He's like, can you come talk to our board? We're actually going to have a board meeting in Puerto Rico and talk to them about digital transformation. What he knew that I didn't know was the board and him were already looking to change, uh, yeah. to bring in a like new Like a CEO. succession planning That's was right. going on. Behind That's the right, that, that I had no idea was going on, right? So, so You're a candidate, Damien. <laughs> exactly, right? And so, so this goes into maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome of myself of, well, no, they, they, you know, I'm not gonna be the one that they're looking for there. So anyway, gets Puerto Rico, one by one, board members are coming up and kind of just having individual conversations. And then ultimately they asked me, you know, what I consider uh, applying. At the same time, um, you know, talked about getting my MBA at Columbia and the, the lifelong learner thing. For yeah. 20 years, I had considered getting my MBA. I had never gone back to get it. And when this thing happened, um, there was one point where I was literally I had a box of books. The books that I had were all the GMAT books that I had ever bought. There were 10 mm -hmm. of them. So essentially almost every two years I was thinking about going back to get it. And my wife was like, just, just go like you, you want to do it and apply someplace. And if you don't get in, then at least you, you try. Um, so Columbia accepted me. What I committed to Accenture was I would do it on Saturdays so that I wouldn't impact the week's work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Alpha at the time is still saying, hey, we'd like you to consider jumping into this role. I was like, look, I'll, I'll go through the process, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, and I had, so I had a ton of stuff going on there. Yeah. And then, um, um, you know, sort of through tragedy comes, you know, a lot of awakenings. Uh, so soon into me, I'm in school. Uh, one of my titties uh, is in the hospital. 
she has cancer. Um, so the, the, the gift that God gave us was knowing she had it, right? And so being able to visit and do things like that. So um, every couple of weekends, I would fly down, go see her. The last conversation that we had was I was talking with her about kind of the different opportunities and things I was thinking about. And uh, Alpha was one of them. And she was like, do it. I was like, right, I, sh I should. And she was like, do it all, do it all. And I was like, okay, Titi, I was like, look, I, I gotta, gotta fly back. Uh, you know, I'll see you next week. Uh, gave her, you know, hug and a kiss. Uh, and we thought she was gonna be leaving the hospital in about a week or so. Um, a couple days later, the doctors called and, and uh, were saying that th there, was, there was nothing that could be done. And um, so that was the last conversation I had with her. And uh, it left quite an impression on you. It's interesting how this stuff sort of goes, right? So I'm kind of flash forwarding a little bit. My first official board meeting that I went to, mm -hmm. I, I walk out of the hotels in Dallas, walking out of the, the, my hotel room. And as I go to the elevator, huge sign that says, enjoy it all. And I was like, you know what, that's, you know, God works in, in interesting <laughs> ways. That, ways. That's, yeah. that's, that's God's way of letting my titi tell me, she told me do it all and now enjoy it, right? Enjoy it. And, and don't put so much pressure on myself that I can't enjoy the impact that's being made in the journey that I'm, I'm on right now. And so, you know, that's, that's the story of kind of how I came into wow. this role. And so no, I, yeah. I, I love that story. And it's, um, I didn't know it had so many layers and as most things do, right. Yeah. Nothing it ever seems so black and white. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. And uh, that's, that's an amazing story that led you from Accenture to deciding ultimately how you can give back yeah. and enjoy it at the same time. Right. Yep. And, and, and I'll say this again, this is where I'll just, I'm going to throw in little pieces as I, as I kind of think a little piece. Don't be afraid to ask for things, right? Don't be afraid. And here's what I mean by that. So you can imagine, right? 20 years in a career, 21 years in a career, it's the only, only job, only lifestyle I've ever known. And it's hard to say, I'm going to go now and do something else, especially jumping into a nonprofit thing. So what the gift they gave me was, I was like, look, can I just take time off instead of completely severing the tie, right? I, I was actually, I was looking for a safety net. And um, they were like, uh, yep. Wow, that, <laughs> that's like, also, listen, that's so amazing that Accenture, but obviously you paid your dues 21 yeah, years. Absolutely, in, absolutely. You know, they gave you a sabbatical. They, they, they yeah. gave you they sort of that, that buffer as you, yeah. as you just described it, um, which is incredible. I mean, that doesn't happen often. And I would say, yeah. I would dare to say that nowadays that will not happen, right? Uh, either you're taking a sabbatical because you're coming back or your sabbatical is turning into a, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're setting off somewhere else. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. And th that's what, yeah. It, and my point there is, is, is a, you know, don't be afraid to ask, right. Have those conversations because you ne you never know, right. If I didn't sure. ask, I would have, you know, would I have done something different? Probably not. I probably still would have, you know, trusted that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. What I tell people is um, in terms of, you know, what's the long-term view of this, and there's more to it, but God willing, I live a long, long time. I'll be able to talk to the grandkids, great grandkids or whoever and say, you see where the Latino community is at? I had a little part of that at a time in our country, at a time in our history when we needed people jumping in, doing something, taking action. 
I jumped in and I had a little part of that. That's amazing, man. And, and I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you, that you have that, that attitude, right? Because with, with attitude and aptitude, you can do great things, I think. Yes. And, and you're showing that. And so this, you know, it kind of segues nicely because I was going to ask you, so now that you're in the role, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're definitely, you know, monitoring what's happening in DC also, yeah. right? So when we think about right now, we're all living this global pandemic that has turned into a recession. The Latino community, um, by the numbers, unfortunately, out in California, out in Texas, here where I'm in, South Florida, you know, Dade County, Miami is, is getting hit pretty hard. You know, we had legislation passed back in, in uh, you know, a couple months ago for the CARES Act yep. um, and trying to get the PPP um, monies in for small businesses. Yet we all know that it's been, um, you know, a little bit, um, you know, lackluster. It hasn't really delivered to the, to, I think, to the underserved communities, right? To the Latino communities, to the minority communities. What's your view a little bit on that, as well as maybe the Dreamers Act? Because, you know, I know you're working closely with the universities and colleges, and those are obviously students already are in it. But then there's those that through the Dreamers Act might be able to stay and do that, or maybe not. So what, what you know, What's your point of view around the legislation that's happening or not happening, I guess? Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a ton to unpack there, right? And so um, I, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack. So, so from, a, from a, a COVID thing, pandemic, one of the things that I found interesting was how so many reports were coming out kind of a couple months into it or maybe you know, six weeks into it, how there almost seemed to be like this surprise that diverse communities were being disproportionately impacted. And I remember having a conversation with somebody saying, that's not a surprise. Like, like we knew that was going to happen. That's what, that's what always happens. Um, to me, it's a, uh, there's a saying that I, that I say often, and I, I uh, took it from JFK, a speech JFK did, uh, equity of opportunity is not the same as equity of responsibility. With increased ability comes increased responsibility, right? And let there be no doubts the Latino community has insane abilities, which means we have extremely high responsibility. I think within our community, there's a lot that we need to do to educate people. So the people that are in position to push on legislation need to do that. They need to take aside the partisan politics and they need to focus in on the impact that needs to occur within our community. What I find in extremely interesting is um, when I talk to uh, people that are Republican or Democrat, there's actually so much in common of what they want to do. It's a little bit more of the how to do it, right? Uh, two, two easy examples. Um, path to citizenship with respect to DACA uh, mm -hmm. and the, um, the Hispanic Museum. If you are super left or super right, both want that. Both want to push on legislation to enable that. Right. It's the how. And I think people need to um, have more conversations with each other to understand and realize that there's a lot more in common that they have than not. And then talk through how do we come together to have a united front on this is how it should be done. And so um, with respect to the impact in our community with COVID, we, we need to, um, so, so we take a step back because there's, there's a lot of pieces with it. 
when people talk about the, uh, the spending power of the Latino community, I think it was 1.7 trillion uh, and it's sort of growing from there. That spending power, right? That is not wealth. I don't know what the number's gonna be right now because a lot of our folks have been impacted from a jobs perspective and mm -hmm. that, that spending power number is gonna be impacted there as well. So we need to do more to build up our wealth. We need to do more to make sure we are buying and investing in Latino owned businesses. We need to make sure that the people that are in positions that are corporates, um, where they as individuals understand or have some good business knowledge on things, you know what, give some time towards those uh, businesses that are out there that may not have the operational skill to maximize their profits, but have amazing entrepreneurial skill set. help them out, right? Yeah. Help them out, right? And, and I'm glad then, you're bringing that up because I yeah. think that, you know, when all this, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it, um, you know, kind of a civil rights movement 3.0, that we all mm -hmm. experienced since George Floyd and, and the last couple of months. I, I want to say that, you know, some corporations, um, maybe some did it just for kind of media lip service, right? Where there's all of a sudden um, funds for people of color, right? hundred million dollars from, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Marcelo Claude. Marcelo Claude is uh, a Bolivian uh, American, uh, you know, success story, right? Hispanic American mm -hmm. success story. He came in here from Bolivia you know, went actually to college uh, in, in, in the Boston area, not Harvard, um, but anyhow, he had a company here in South Florida, worked for uh, Motorola, and then opened up his own company called Brightstar Corporation. Brightstar Corporation is like a logistics for telecommunications, cellular, and just blew up, right? He's now the chairman of the board with SoftBank because he was a CEO for Sprint, right? And so I remember he was one of the first on LinkedIn that actually the first companies that when all this was going down that him and the uh, SoftBank actually put in a hundred dollar million dollar fund for people of color startups and companies that needed need this kind of assistance right because like you're saying you know if without any real uh, the way to move the needle right is is to have some equity is to also be kind of um, you know to actually be able to in the business community be represented um, be, be able to be sitting on the board or be able to have your company go from a startup uh, through an accelerator program with either some VC money or some funding because with that money, as you know, with that capital, right, um, the, the, the best intention, the best invention from an entrepreneur that's of color uh, may, may, go, may, may just go belly up in a, in a short few months that's or right. a short few years. So because of that, you know, I saw all of a sudden after SoftBank did it, you know, with our $100 million fund, then you saw Google and Facebook, then everybody else kind of jumped on the wagon. Yeah. Now, the thing is the rubber will meet the road when we actually see, you know, three months down the line, six months or now, we could start seeing if any of these funds have actually made a difference, right? If they've actually yeah. been awarded to minority businesses and how, and, and how, you know, how are they determining who are they giving it to? You know, it's one thing to give it to a business that's already with a, you know, with a ARR recurring revenue of, a million dollars, right. but that's not reality for small business, you know, businesses, small uh, minority owned businesses, they may be only breaking even, right? right. <laughs> they, right. They're not showing in their books, as you know, you're in a consulting, you yeah. know, if you're not showing you've got positive year over year revenue, you know, some of this funding um, is not easy to obtain. So we'll see what, the, what happens there. But I agree with you that, you know, we definitely have obviously and have had for the last probably 10 years, um, a, um, a ton of, uh, you know, um, 
power, uh, spending power. Yeah. But that's not the same as, you know, I think even uh, Elias um, had alluded to this a little bit. In the VC community that he's part of, in software, SaaS, only 2% or less than 2% of funding from VCs go into Latinx founders and or women-owned or minority-owned you know, startups, right? So that kind of gives you a bit of a 2%. I mean, that means there's a 98% per, is going to non-minority-owned businesses, right? And that right there, that starts bringing that digital divide and also Absolutely. that equity divide in businesses, right? And so um, I, I, see, I see, you know, that, that you're trying to make a difference. And I, and I say that because I, I, I listened to some of these YouTube videos that you had with um, young Latinos in the, that are members of your chapter in the university yeah. setting. And these are the young folks, the young men and women of Latino descent that are going to come into the workforce and or bring, you know, you know, create their own startup or create their own business. And they're at least getting better prepared, I would say, because they're looking at Alpha Absolutely. and other organizations to help them through that. Talk to me a little bit about how that program's working and what has that meant to you personally to, to kind of lead that with Alpha? Yeah, so, so there's, a, there's a few different things that we did. So what, when I stepped in, one of the things that we evaluated was, um, so Alpha's focused on connecting Latino leaders for impact, right? So you say, okay, fantastic. So then you have to ask the question of, of well, so how do you do that, right? So, okay, the connecting piece is there's a lot of in-person events. Nationally, we have kind of the major events that we do. Uh, and then you have local events that are happening. Say, okay, uh, but then how do you really develop leaders? What does it mean to develop a leader? And we really evaluated a few things and we came out with, there's really six areas that we said, okay, these six areas of focus you gotta have, right? So one is domain competency, which is essentially your, your hard skills, right? Your tech skills. If you're a finance person, you'll be good at that. If you're accounting, if you're uh, you know, machine learning, whatever, your domain skills. But that alone, isn't gonna do it for you. Everybody is smart, right? Everybody has some good stuff going on. So that alone is not gonna do it. Then you have your social pieces, right? The, what people call the soft skills. We did not call it soft skills intentionally because we said, look, um, people are gonna downplay the impact of this. And the reality is those soft skills, that's a huge differentiator when you combine that with your domain knowledge, right? So. Either of those two alone ain't gonna do it for you, right? People eventually will see through if you're trying to just kind of, you know, charm them with, with something, right? So you gotta have that soft skill piece. You gotta have the domain side. And then, well, what about the wealth creation piece? So, so you're, you're doing well out there, but you need to then be able to build your wealth. And oftentimes within a lot of the community, we don't necessarily talk about money. It's, it's almost like, you, like you, constantly you don't talk about money. Like voodoo almost. Exactly, yeah. right? Voodoo and, and subject. Yeah, when we should. Um, this past weekend, I had the best conversation with my goddaughter. She was like, so, Padrino, um, I'm looking, I'm thinking about opening up a bank account because I don't have uh, so much, I don't have expenses right now, but I'm still making money because I'm just kind of sitting at home and we're not going anywhere. What should I do? we started talking about, you know, robo investors and mm -hmm. talk, I talked to her about, you realize if you put this much in here, here's how you can assume it'll grow. This is what you'll have in retirement. And she's like, yeah. why don't they teach us this in school? True. I was like, mm -hmm. right. They, they, they should. So that wealth creation piece. Then next is health and wellness. Because as you are got mental health, physical health, again, Absolutely. another topic 
we tend to not talk about that mental health side. And what you see is as people are growing in their careers, there's a mental strain that's there that isn't necessarily there for other communities. And so how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with when people start saying, you know, you sold out because you moved into a different area or because you're dressing a little differently or maybe you sound a little different than you used to sound, right? How do you deal with that? So that, that health and wellness piece, the last two areas are community engagement. So the thought is if you have these other parts working well for you, you better be doing something to give back and then do it strategically also. So to the point of there are very few Latinos on corporate boards. Well, a lot of folks don't know, a lot of those corporate boards will look for board experience as part of nonprofits too. And so you can get some really good board experience in a nonprofit, especially the large nonprofits, right? So, mm-hmm. so a um, AARP or a Girl Boys Scouts Club. or Junior Chip Boys and Girls, exactly. I mean, those are you know, nine-figure organizations, mm-hmm. some of them. Th- those yeah. are companies, right? Those aren't just little nonprofits here and there. You're gaining a ton of experience there. So how are you strategically giving back with something you're passionate about anyway, but you're also learning through that process? And then the last piece is entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. And what we said is all these other things tie into that entrepreneurial spirit. And how do you help people really uh, take advantage of their entrepreneurial spirit? Oftentimes in companies, you're, you're kind of told kind of do your thing. Mm-hmm. It takes away that entrepreneurial side of you in a lot of ways. But the reality is at those most senior levels inside companies, you are an entrepreneur. If you are managing a PL, you are identifying new products and services, you are identifying new customer bases to go after because you need to go ahead and grow, you're an entrepreneur. You may have the safety net of a big company behind you, but you're an entrepreneur. How do you go ahead and, and do that? And realize that's who you are. Like that's how your journey, if you look back at your journey, you will see how entrepreneurial you are by nature. The Latino community is insanely entrepreneurial by nature. And so leveraging that in a company. And so those six areas is where we focus on to be able to make sure that we are helping our students and professionals, right? And because all people need those. And from a student perspective, our chapters are doing insanely well. Um, The students are pushing significantly uh you know, one of the uh, the alpha live session that you watched on youtube yeah. was a group of students that um for juneteenth uh, actually so take a, a step back uh for black lives matter um I, I put a post out there a statement from from alpha and uh the students said we saw that and we thought that was great but we didn't want to just take that and repost that we right. wanted people to know what we're thinking. And so on their own, they went and gathered a bunch of schools from different parts of the country, people that they had not met before, but they knew they were all alpha chapter leaders. They right. got together and they designed their own statement for Juneteenth. And it was beautiful. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, you know, you all need to talk to the you know, professionals out there and tell them, how are you holding them accountable? How are you holding me accountable in my role to make sure I'm doing something more, right? And so um, the students are amazing and they are pushing on things and our professionals are as well. There's a lot of focus on how do we make sure we're not just 
sitting back and just doing our jobs, but instead understanding that this is a time in history that you want to be able to look back on in 20, 30, 40 years when your, you know, kids, grandkids, et cetera, or just community in general ask you, what did you do? Yeah. What did you do then? Because people are going to ask it, right? Absolutely. And you can either say you've done something or you haven't. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, 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 I you know, I thank you for sharing about the, 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 the points, the seven parts, pillars, if you will, right? Yes. That, that, yep. that are your mission and vision. Uh, those are very important. I'll definitely highlight those in the show notes for sure. So when you think about these, um, you know, these times in the young Latino community um, and, and what you're doing also with the professionals, you have a virtual summit coming up. Talk to us a little bit about what that's going to be. Um, what's the, the intent um, of people that will be attending just so that, you know, we can, we can kind of um, highlight that for those folks that are going to be listening and if they can attend, yeah. great. But at least they could go back if they can't attend that, that same, um, you know, yep. because they're not part of the membership. So explain to us a little bit of how, how that came about. Yeah, so, so, yeah, no, absolutely. Our virtual convention, we're taking a different approach than a lot of other conventions that have gone from on-site to virtual. And our view is this is not going to be a one-time thing. How do we leverage the technology that we're putting in place here to be able to better create lasting impact? So even if somebody watches this or listens to this in a year from now, they will still be able to go to the alpha.org website and tune into all the sessions that had been discussed at that time, right? So what we're doing is um, through our virtual convention, there's essentially three components to it. Uh, the first is a student boot camp, which has a lot of student focused programming. The programming is not just uh, resume building, but it's things also that go into, you know, uh, one of the topics is uh, uh, compensation beyond the salary, right? So how do you understand your overall compensation package for students? How do you negotiate that when you're talking yeah. to companies, right? Yeah. That's huge. Mm -hmm. If you start off, you know, 10, 15% lower than somebody else because you just didn't know how to negotiate, that's going to carry with you, right? Yeah. So, so getting them ready for this stuff. Um, next is uh, three days of, of celebrations, if you will. So August 5th, 6th, and 7th of 2020. I'm hoping people are listening to this in 2025, right? 2020 mm -hmm. is going to be um, uh, a focus on our students and the stories, the scholarship winners that are out there. What are their stories? We're going to have students talking also having their parents as part of it, right? Because it's multi-generational. Sure. This isn't just about the individual. It's about the community that put time and energy into that individual to make sure that that's absolutely seen, right. And so there's a celebratory it. period there. And then we're having three months of professional development series where normally our on-site convention is a one-week thing. You have professional sessions happening. You have student sessions happening. You have a sure. virtual career. You have a real uh, career fair. We said three months because we were like, look, what we have companies give access to professionals in August, what they're going to need in September or October is going to be different. Yeah. And so what about, because every day things are changing, given where we yeah. are right now from a COVID perspective. Yeah, so, things are pivoting. So you got to pivot with them and change. So I love exactly. that. So you're making it a prolonged That's professional right. it's development. A, it's a which real is critical. time Exactly. Real-time engagement with professionals. And so when companies start looking at their annual planning in September, October, and realize, you know what, we are going to hire more people. We're able to push messages to our membership base, make sure that they're one of the first ones to connect in with these companies where they need jobs. Mm -hmm. 
And so we're, we're also shifting this to become part of just the long-term value proposition of the organization. When you engage with us and you um, are part of our membership base, you have access to all these things that are broken out into those six pillars. And so you are able to get real-time uh, feedback and knowledge on wealth creation or domain competency or mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurship. And then kind of our secret sauce, if you will, is going to be just the, the personal stories. So for example, we have from a wealth creation standpoint talking about you know, how you go about you know, building your will and things like that, uh, your budget, et cetera. But then also having a personal story from someone talking about how they went and did something with that knowledge, right. how it impacted them in life and in their career. Those stories are really what's going to trigger someone to actually take action for themselves to actually get the benefits of the learnings that they're, that they're getting. No, I love it. It sounds like a great, great program. And, and you've got some pretty incredible sponsors. I saw too, like Bank of America. Yeah. Who, yes. who else are your, your um, kind of your, your, your anchor sponsors or your, your business sponsors that are, that are also going to be opening up maybe employment workforce opportunities in, yeah. you know, in, in, in this latter part of the year, maybe the second half. Yep. And so, and so there's still a lot of companies are still figuring out what they're going to do from a hiring perspective. I will say sure. that, right. And it's, it, which is very understandable. Yeah. Um, our, our, our core clients have always been the big four um, plus an RSM as well. So alpha used to be focused mainly on finance and accounting, which is why we have so many. So EY, uh, EY, mm -hmm. KPMG, Deloitte, uh, PwC, RSM have always been phenomenal partners. And then also the financial institutions have always been great partners as well. Bank of America is our lead partner this year. They have been amazing with us. Um, and uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Morgan Stanley, Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, all our partners with us focused in on how do they engage um, in a better way with our members and open up job opportunities um, as much as possible. Uh, Accenture is one of the newer companies into the mix. Obviously, I, you know, there's probably I was gonna a reason say, for that. Yeah. You, you were uh, able to get, get your team back. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. And so, so we're also expanding more and more into the technology areas. So Google is with that. us this year, Amazon. Um, so we have a lot of, um, you know, and then also from a medical standpoint, so Medtronic, uh, McKesson. So we are expanding mm -hmm. so that our members can leverage their background and skills across so many industries. Yeah. Across industries. I love that. Yeah. If you need help on the, on the tech side for, for, I'd love to be able to provide some mentorship, Absolutely. Yeah, what, what have you to, to the community around, uh, you know, digital marketing and technologies. That's, that's the I, domain that I have. Um, and I, I'm sure that the drift would be open to that. And I was going to say, we're, we're actually using drift. We are using drift in, in multiple ways to help people navigate the convention, um, the virtual convention, Man, as well as afterwards. Um, so one of the examples you said, like when, when a, when a member goes to the site, they'll be able to say, you know, what are you looking for today type of thing. And, you know, I'm looking for job opportunities. Did you know that these four companies have job openings right now? Yeah. And then being able to guide them very quickly them to where through, they need. Yeah. So yeah, we're, I'm excited about our. That's uh, awesome, man. That's awesome. Drift. Another one that I'll mention, and maybe I'll uh, hope we can connect you to them is um, outreach. Outreach is out in, um, in, in, in um, out in the West coast, Seattle. Okay. Uh, but that gentleman, you know, um, their CEO also of a Latinx founder and, and knows uh, Elias Torres pretty well. I'm sure they would want to get somehow connected, right? They're always yeah, looking, those are companies that are always looking uh, kind of at the forefront of diversity in their culture, in their workforce. Yep. And so that could be another opportunity. No, there. I, I'd, I'd love that connection. We have a 
we have an insanely strong Seattle chapter. Boeing is another awesome. one of our longtime yeah. partners. Uh, and so we're out there in Seattle, Microsoft as well. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. So, you know, I like to kind of, you know, get your, your bird view of, so everything starts with why, like you follow Simon Sinek, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. You know he's got the seven whys or whatever. What, what do you think are the whys that right now people should be asking themselves, especially, I guess, um, whether you're mid-career or you're a, a, a you know, student that's going to enter the workforce or try to enter the workforce in, in spite of what we're all going through, what are some of these whys they should be asking? right? So a mid-career person, they might have to all of a sudden pivot and get out of their comfort zone and or a young, you know, a young um, student um, gradu graduating this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, you know, the, the whole thing of, I think that the following your passion and, and I'll say this, um, my alarm, it'll be hard to see, so I won't necessarily show it on there. Uh, it, it says on it, um, to, uh, I'm trying to think the exact words, right? Wake up and have some fun. Right? Exclamation mark. So, so when my, when my alarm goes off, it says, wake up and have some fun. Um, what <laughs> I, I think it. people need to think about is, uh, you know, and, and it's not going to be every, they're going to be some days that are just going to be stressful, right? Stressful. Sure. Uh, a couple days before a big event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> are, are you waking up smiling? Are you, are you, is what you are doing today or what you are considering going to putting you in a position where you are waking up smiling, where you feel energized when you get up. Um, there is a ton of opportunity. There is, I, I want people to think about, uh, and maybe it's a little bit of a shift on the why, but you know, why not? Right. So, you know, why not go for that, more senior opportunity. Why not go for that, um, that job or career move that is, you know, putting you in a position to just do something new and then, you know, focus in on all the goodness that can happen there, right? Don't spend too much time on the why not. Use the why not to just spark a, let me think about this more, right? Don't literally come up with 50 reasons why you shouldn't because your brain will do that if you allow it to, yeah. right? True. And so use the why not to say, you know, why wouldn't I be able to do that? Stop, don't, don't actually go into the details of why you wouldn't be able to do it because again, your brain will, will play tricks on you and then start going through all the things of what would be great about this, right? Um, does it tie to your values? Does it tie to whatever you're doing tied to your value system? And if it does, and you think you're gonna wake up smiling, then you know, go for it. Uh, what I tell people is um, leave no doubt. Leave no doubt in your community, your family, your friends, but most importantly, leave no doubt for yourself that you gave it your all, right? You never gave up. You went and did something that was worthwhile. So God willing, when it is time to go, um, you'll look back and say, yeah, I lived. I lived and it was an awesome journey. Yeah, I love that, man. Really, really great stuff. So if, if we had to do a, you know, kind of a, um, a, a recap of three takeaways that you would like for our listeners to take from this podcast, what would those be? I'd say, right, um, it may not have completely come through, but know how to ask for help, right? Along the entire journey, 
there were a lot of people that helped me along the way, right? A lot of people know how to ask for help, know how to build your teams, right? So focus on asking for help, building your teams, because um, again, that whole, every single place in that journey, there are people that are part of the teams that have enabled things to happen and then do something, right? The last thing is take action, do something every single day, a slight movement towards moving forward. You start building momentum. Momentum is a, an amazing thing, both when it's moving and when you've stopped it, it is hard to build back up. So start your things and take action and move. And you will be amazed at uh, the progress you can make in frankly, a relatively short period of time if you are just knowing how to ask for help, building up teams to be able to help you with it and actually taking action to move things forward. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I love that. So what, you know, for you to get to the point you've gotten in your career and in life, I would say, you know, you, 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 you describe sort of the, the three steps you've taken. Uh, but if we wanted to dissect a little bit of little things you've done. So for example, for our listeners, what are some books that you've read um, and, and, you know, or you intend to read and why, you know, typically, you know, leaders are readers, oh, they say. Yeah. So what are some books you would recommend? Oh man. Okay. Um, see, where do I start? Uh, so uh, Presence by Amy Cuddy. Phenomenal phenomenal like that one and I'll, so i'll start with this right so there may be some people out there that are like me uh, so i read very slowly i do what they call sub vocalization so i can only read as fast as i can talk because i'm literally reading it to myself in my head right okay so what i do to to read twice as fast if you will is i will be i, I will read a book actual book but i also get an audible book that i listen to at at almost double speed. I could listen faster than I can actually read. Sure. So my point there is I'm able to listen to books while I'm also reading, not at the same exact time, but I'm able to get through twice as many. So Amy Cuddy's presence, phenomenal. Got it, got it, have to. Um, amazing book. Uh, next, Just Listen by Mark Golston. Also phenomenal book. Um, it, it, Mark Golston is a former hostage negotiator, going just the whole concept of understanding how to help people um, really uh, get to a place where they are more productive, but also for yourself, how to calm yourself down and put yourself in a position to better solve problems. Like there's just so much, she goes through the science of it. Uh, right. Amazing book. Amy in her book also does the same with respect to, for example, the power posing and why that literally translates to um, more confidence. So two great books there. If you're looking at a uh, financial investing, uh, I would say um, Pitch the Perfect Investment by, um, uh, uh, so yeah, Pitch the Perfect Investment, um, phenomenal book. It, um, by way of learning how to value invest, um, it is, it, it's so easy to go it. through it's, and it understand. Simplifies it's simplifies it, so it, it makes right. it easy for someone to understand how you would that's invest, right. make the, investments. The, that's right. The, the, the author, I gave that to other, the author, so Paul Johnson is the, uh, the author for that one. Mm -hmm. um, just, he's like a descendant from like the, the, the Warren Buffett 
tree of value wow. investing at Columbia That's University. Just amazing, amazing guy. Uh, so those are three examples of books. Um, there's so many more, but we'll definitely put those on the show yeah. notes and I'll get those from you for sure. Now, one last thing that I like to do with my guests to have fun with them a bit is, yeah. you know, and I know you're from the nineties the, the and we're sort of, we're both on the fourth floor in our forties. Yeah. So yeah. I know that you'll probably relate to this <laughs> movie, right? Estoy en el cuarto piso. But so if you can jump on, you know, the DeLorean with Marty, uh, Michael J. Fox, right? And go back to the future, looking back at a younger Damien, what would you give yourself as advice? What would you do? So, so one I'll say, um, one of my favorite movies, like, like favorite, uh, my son even got me a Lego set of the, back to the, the DeLorean, so I have that upstairs. Um, what, would I, what would I tell myself, right? Um, I mean, there's, there's some basic stuff of, it, it'll be okay. Right, like you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna do great, buddy. Like I used to stress out so much. I actually had like a heart issue, like literally a heart issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be okay, uh, and um, you know, just uh, just go out there and you know, do your thing. Just, just, just enjoy it earlier, right? Um, and, and I say that because it's it's a constant thing that I've had to be told uh, until. You know, what I told you recently with my, with my aunt, right? Yeah, um, my dad good. even, check this out, in college, yeah. my dad told me, have some more fun. Like, you need to have fun. <laughs> Which usually our, our, our Latino parents are always like, are you studying more? Exactly. Only, you know, not have right? more fun. <laughs> exactly, right? So, so I think that would be the bigger one. Like, just, just mm-hmm. understand it's going to be okay. Uh, and, you know, take some, take some more risks. Right. Take some more risks earlier and, and it'll be fine. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, you know, Damien Rivera, uh, CEO of alpha.org, formerly senior partner at Accenture, lifelong learner, a working father, parent, because I know you have two young teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. And in time of COVID, that must be interesting with fall and, and, and school starting or not school starting somewhat yeah. in New York <laughs> next year. Right. So we truly appreciate you being a, one of our special uh, guests here on Smart chickens a podcast dedicated to diversity uh thinking which drives innovation and growth thank you so much for your your kind um kindness of giving us some of your insights your journey and some words of wisdom thank you for having me i appreciate it this was uh this was great and thank you for what you're doing because what you're doing is really getting messages out there that are going to help a ton of people so thank you So I tried out for Rutgers uh, for, for, okay. for football and um, I realized I was not meant for sports uh, at, in, in college when I, so they had me run the 40 yard dash. Right. And so yeah. I'm a wide receiver. I'm like, okay, a big lineman was like, Hey, can you run with me so that you can be my rabbit? So essentially I, his thought was I'd be running so fast. It would actually make him faster as he tries to catch me. We run the 40 and this lineman beat me. So, right, this is a dude who's like 6'6", six, six, like 250, big dude. And I'm like, okay, if a 6'6 six, six lineman, big guy beats me, I ain't meant to be out there on the football field <laughs> in the college level. If that yes. guy that big hit me, I would disintegrate, right? I would disintegrate. Anyway, so um, 
like I'm gonna to add me, this on by the way. Uh, I absolutely, love it. I'm, I'm complete. I'm completely good at. So, so <laughs> I was like, okay, I gotta focus on. I gotta focus on the schoolwork, like engineering, and and then also I was like, you know, so I played flag football and stuff like that. But there is absolutely a mentality that translates over to work, right? There is a um, what I tell people it's it's not a win at all costs, but it's um, to use a Herman Edwards thing. You, you play to win the game. Right. You yeah. play to win the game. Herm Edwards, for people that don't know, is the former coach of the New York Jets. Uh, you play to win the game. My kids get sick of me saying it all the time, too. Right. Why do you play to win? Right. It's OK if you lose. If you lose, you lose. But you don't play to lose. You don't play to do OK. If you're going to be there. Right. Be there. And so I think that mentality. Now, I think I know that mentality translates over to work. If, if, if you're going to do something, mm -hmm. do it, do it right. right. Give it your all. Don't, you know, halfway it, right. If you're going to be there, be there. And the other piece that I'll, I'll say over here too, is cause we didn't get into it before, but more than happy to throw this out there is, you know, so I said my, my wife ran track. So my wife and I, high school sweethearts met freshman year of, uh, of high school in homeroom. It took me four years to ask her out. Senior year is when I asked her out and I asked her out by literally throwing a letter at her. So I wrote a letter and I threw it at her as I was <laughs> running by her. But so we were doing like laps for baseball and she was uh, doing the track laps for track. And so right. she was sitting with a friend. Um, they were like in the break and I threw it at her as I ran by uh, that night because no cell phones back then. So that night yeah. I called hmm. her up. I got her number from a friend. Uh, and I asked her out and she said, no, <laughs> uh, eventually, obviously she said, yes, we went out and, um, we've been married for 20 years, 20 years, 19 year old son, 16 year old daughter. My son just finished his freshman year at the Spitz school of architecture. Uh, so he's studying architecture and my daughter uh, wants to do photography. She just finished her junior year in high school. So it's, uh, definitely a, a blessed, uh, family and, and we're having a, as best a time as we can uh, being stuck inside as everybody else is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that, man. That's great. I'll add that in as well. Cause there was a work-life balance question that I, that I was going to ask you about, which, it's, you know, because we're all living this, you know, and you've got, um, you know, I've got young children, very young, like a three yeah. and a six year old. So to my, 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 it's different. That's why I always yep. uh, insist on uh, early calls um, for these, because if yeah. not children uh, start, you know, jumping out yeah. of bed trying to come up here and ask me for papa yeah hambre, hambre, you know <laughs> i want some breakfast you know so. yeah.